Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. And I'm Keith Porter, and today my guest is Janie Kesselman. And Janie is a woman of many talents, from music to refrigeration engineering to sandal making. And she's the editor of the Camptonville Courier and a poster child for community building and social activism. So, Janie, welcome to the hot seat on the Sages Among Us. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit about your background, just touch on a couple of things, and then we're going to get right into the discussion here. Um, I know that you grew up, uh, among other things, fishing on Long Island Sound with your father. You were very big in music and went all the way into Lincoln Center in Manhattan to hear uh, Leonard Bernstein's uh, youth programs. You got a degree in film and cinema. You uh, headed for San Francisco when you could to find kindred spirits. And I think you did. Uh, you've been involved in uh, civil disobedience training. You've been involved in protests. You've been arrested numerous times because of that civil disobedience. Uh, you're very much involved in homeschooling, or you were uh, when your children were younger, <laughs> and communal living. And you're the mother of two accomplished adult daughters. Um, and I probably left out about 99% of your life, but there's a, there's a thumbnail sketch. So this show is about you, your work, and civic engagement. And you've had so many interesting and varied life experiences that uh, we're going to be challenged to even skim the surface in 30 minutes, but we'll give it a go. So let's go back to your beginnings. Uh, tell us a little bit about growing up in Queens, New York, with your liberal, working-class Jewish parents. Okay. Uh, both my parents were Jewish immigrants from Poland. Uh, my dad got here when he was 12, and my mom was the first of her siblings to be born in America. And um, let's see, I grew up in Flushing, which is a great place to grow up in the 60s and early 70s. Um, I was a short walk to the Main Street subway station, so I would go into the city uh, with my friends when I was a little older. And um, I grew up in this co-op apartment building complex of 200 families. Um, it was six-story apartment, six story apartment buildings, and um, we had floor captains. There was a um, nursery school I went to that was in the basement, and um, I walked and biked and took the subway everywhere with my friends, uh, walked to school every single day through high school. Which was which was great. Um, so, so it sounds like that that experience was certainly your introduction to cooperative or communal living. Then, in many respects, is that right? Well, it wasn't a commune. <laughs> My parents at first didn't really understand why I didn't want to uh, be in a nuclear family when I grew up, but um, they were they just wanted me to be happy. So, even if they didn't understand it, they were happy that I found what I wanted to find. Great. Well, you know, you told me about this fishing on Long Island with your dad on weekends. That must have been quite a treat. It was great. That was my dad's way of um, relaxing. He worked in Manhattan during the week. Uh, he had his own little business uh, repairing air conditioning equipment. And um, on the weekends, he just liked to chill on the water. And he had uh, an outboard motor that he kept in the trunk of his car, and we'd go and uh, rent a rowboat, and he'd throw the motor on, and we'd go out far 
<laughs> and uh, we'd catch lots of fish every week and uh, bring them home and eat them. It was great. Uh, cool. And then, actually, uh, on the Jewish holiday of Passover, we'd go somewhere and catch some carp, which he would grind up and make into gefilte fish, which is uh, kind of a traditional delicacy. Wow. Just for the holiday. Oh, yeah. How cool. Well, uh, you said you grew up with quite a few nieces and nephews around your age. Uh, but how about you? Were you the good kid or the problem child? <laughs> Well, I have to say, I'm afraid I was a good kid. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> My not brother was the class clown, okay. um, but for both of us, school was fun and easy, and um, I was kind of a tomboy. Uh, I, I liked to climb trees, and uh, let's see, the closest I got to trouble was, like, whisking my best friends away with me on long bike trips. <laughs> longer, <laughs> we to, longer than we you went. were supposed to go on, huh? <laughs> well... It was it was okay. I just think we got home a little late for them. I had a lot of freedom. My my parents were older, and my dad had um, he had a family, and then his wife died of cancer before he um, married my mom and had a second family when his kids were teenagers. So uh, or ready to get married. That's why I had all these nieces and nephews who were peers. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, yeah. you mentioned going into Manhattan uh, and actually riding the subway alone with your brother. You were age 10, you said, to, to attend Leonard Bernstein's concerts at Lincoln Center. Uh, how, how did yeah. all of that influence your life? Well, let's see. My mom loved classical music and exposed both of us to as much as she could. Uh, we went to see the New York City Ballet. We'd see the Nutcracker practically every year. And um, we went to concerts. Um, she got us a subscription to uh, Leonard Bernstein's um, Young People's Concerts, which were wonderful. And we went for years. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, I remember distinctly when she brought home uh, a PDQ Bach record for us to listen to. PDQ Bach is a fictional uh, composer made up by Peter Schickley. Um and it poked fun at classical music. So since we were both taking piano lessons and stuff, we, we got all the jokes. Oh, it you, was really, so you really got, fun. So you got to have fun along with your classical music training. and then Definitely. <laughs> so you said you also attended anti-Vietnam War marches in Manhattan as a young person. And um, did, mm -hmm. did that have some influence on the direction of your life also? Yeah. I mean, I learned war was an unnecessary evil. And, you know, in those days, there were only three major sources of news on TV, like three networks that practically everyone watched. Right. And the war and the corresponding protests were on every night. And I I saw that maybe I could make a difference by protesting because <laughs> I saw things wind down finally. Well, and After it, hundreds of thousands of people would protest in the streets. And your interest in doing that and your willingness to do that has extended into your later life as well, hasn't it? Sure, yeah. Well, let's, let's come back to that in a bit. We'll, kind of okay. stick, we'll stick with the chronology here a little bit. I was getting okay. ahead of myself a bit. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know you, you, you got your degree in cinema and filmmaking at SUNY in Binghamton, and then you headed to San Francisco to find kindred spirits. What kindred spirits were you looking for, and what did you find? Well, I was looking for, I guess, a cooperative life with people. Um, I found my life partner, Peter, uh, 
quite by accident at a party, and he introduced me to communal living, uh, raising kids together, worker-owned and run businesses, um, alternative gender role models, um, tradeswomen, anarchism, feminism, activism for social justice, you know, a whole lot of stuff. And um, I started reading about it, and I went, oh, yeah, this is, I wasn't sure what I was looking for, but I found it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, that's a that's a wonderful uh, testimony to how things can unfold when you're open to them, aren't isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you, with Peter, uh, you eventually created. You said what may have been the first community to support people with children that was a co- communal and collective household. Tell us about that. <laughs> Yeah, there were actually quite a few collective households in the Bay Area at that time, and there was, um, yeah, there uh, there was the Collective Networker magazine, that, uh, the newsletter that, um, you know, was something that uh, we could exchange ideas in. But we rented, we ended up renting with a bunch of friends. Uh, a whole building on a double lot in San Francisco with a big backyard, and uh, uh, we changed it into 11 bedrooms, six regular ones, three in the garage level, and um, each adult had their own room. And then there was the downstairs kitchen and living room, uh, kitchen and dining room, we made into bedrooms. So we had nine adults and four to six kids at any given time. <laughs> we uh, we all paid equal amounts for the rent. We you know divided it by nine, and then uh, the children. Uh, oh, and we also had a fee for food because we ate dinners together every night, and um, the children were free because <laughs> we wanted to support parents. Yeah, that's great. We didn't have kids yet, but we knew that that's what we wanted. <laughs> I'm, I'm so we had a common bank account for rent, food, utilities, and extra for parties and improvements. Mm. And we shared dinners. We had lots of meetings. We had parties. And we even uh, made some of our own holiday traditions, which have lived on oh, <laughs> to Camptonville. Great. That's great. <laughs> I'm Keith Porter, and my guest today is Janie Kesselman. Janie's a woman of many talents, from music to refrigeration engineering to sandal making, and she's the editor of the Camptonville Courier and, uh, as we said, a poster child for community building and social activism. <laughs> but, you know, now I just mentioned refrigeration engineering. We hadn't quite got to that, but we were right. in San Francisco. You followed your father's trade. Both you and Peter studied refrigeration systems, and you repaired and installed refrigeration in co-op food stores and ocean-going freight containers, and you became the right. first woman and non-veteran journeyman uh, operating engineer for HVAC systems at uh, San Francisco's VA hospital, Fort Miley. That must right. have been quite an experience. <laughs> it was. It was. Um, Peter and I, uh, Peter had just enrolled in a refrigeration course at the community college when I met him. And that's when I was just, I just moved to San Francisco and I was looking for a job. So, um, Part of my work-study job at college was repairing movie projectors and related equipment, and, you know, mechanical aptitude was in my genes, so I thought I'd give it a try. <laughs> um, well, you're the, so, post, you're the poster child not only for social activism, but also for uh, women becoming tradespeople, right? Well, that was, um, 
one of the things that well, my dad always said, and my mom, they always said I could be, you know, whatever I wanted to be. And then Peter encouraged me and said, hey, let's do this. Um, and uh, I studied I studied refrigeration. Uh, we took a two-year course for a certificate at the community college. And um, I worked at the VA hospital. Um, actually, it was a big complex. It was uh, research facilities, too. And... Um, there were three men in the HVA shop and me, yeah. and they were very respectful. Um, I, I had a good experience there and oh, that's great. learned a lot. <laughs> well, and then at some point you kind of made the move to solar uh, energy, right, from out of refrigeration? Yes. Well, um, yeah, there was a place called the Solar Center, and it, was, it had started out as a collective and turned into a worker-owned business. And they had an opening, so I applied, and <laughs> I, the solar center allowed me and Peter to share a job. Um, we were planning to get pregnant and wanted to be equally involved in our child's upbringing. So we each worked two 10-hour days a week as their troubleshooting department, and we, we shared a little troubleshooting truck and fix stuff. How cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, somewhere along the line, you uh, did a course of study with the American Friends Service Committee on uh, s civil disobedience and nonviolent direct action. Uh, why did you decide to take that step? Well, uh, the people who I was living with were, I mean, we were all um, into changing the world for the better. And there were different um, actions that were about to happen, and we needed to get trained in nonviolent civil disobedience before we could actually take that step and be part of the um, protests. And and you did then go on and be part of a number of protests, right, on against nuclear power, nuclear weapons, environmental destruction, civil injustice, all of those things. Yes. <laughs> How many how yeah. many times have you been arrested, Janie? Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> many or several anyway. Many, yeah. okay. many. So what? Yeah, what lost count. <laughs> so what have been the consequences of that? Because people, I think, who have not had that experience, wonder uh, what's it like, and and you know how do you, you know, I don't know how do you survive going through all of that? That must be very tumultuous. Well, actually, it's very organized because. Um, Everyone, well, everyone is supposed to be have some training before putting themselves at risk for arrest. So um, we we knew what was um, coming. Uh, mostly, most of the actions I was in, uh, we were cited, like given a ticket and released. But there were various actions when we spent time in jail. And uh, another, the big uh, Livermore blockade in 1983, we were in, we were held for two weeks, and there were a thousand people, 500 men, 500 women. <laughs> we were held in circus tents and barracks, and then some of us who stayed the whole two weeks ended up at the Santa Rita Jail. But the thing about um, being in jail together is that you're together, <laughs> and it's a really good time for organizing and figuring out what the next step is. 
So we were in the San Francisco Chronicle every day for two weeks during that action. You get your get your picture in the paper one way or another. Right? <clears throat> so, are, but are there ongoing consequences for your life? I mean, is there is there a record then of your arrest that that haunts you in any way or affects your life in any way? Um, some people were more at risk for that. Um, I happen to have a job that I was not at risk for. <laughs> you know, I couldn't, I wouldn't lose my job. Um, yeah, so everyone has their own personal choice of whether they can take the consequences. Right. Well, it's uh, it's an interesting um, interesting experience that that not many people mm-hmm. have had. So I'm I'm just really mm-hmm. curious about you know how that impacts your life on an, on an ongoing forward basis. Um, right. I know somewhere uh, along that time, you and others in your communal family then went to live in an, in an intentional community in Missouri in 1987, yeah. and you were told there somehow you heard there that North San Juan, California, had great resources for homeschooling families, and so you came to Nevada County, and you said you felt immediately at home. Um, it was so serendipitous. It was amazing. <laughs> so uh, we're we're very happy that that worked out, and you found uh, Nevada County. Um, what? What helped you know that you were where you were supposed to be when you landed in in this part of the world? Let's see. Well, first of all, the homeschooling community was everything we hoped for. Um, Right after we landed here in February 88, there was a homeschooling meeting that connected us with lots of area parents and resources. Um, We decided to try the independent study program on the ridge and to look for land nearby. And meanwhile, our three-year-old, um, Corey, went to Tall Pines Co-op Nursery School, and I volunteered at the Briar Patch, which was a short walk from our first home uh, in Grass Valley. And I was also I was in the same volunteer training as Maggie McCaig, who connected me to the area's music community and ended up teaching Orff-style music and movement at the Twin Ridges Home Study Charter School. And that inspired me to pursue Orf music education and teach a couple classes there myself after Maggie left to teach at Uber River Charter. So there was a lot of happy coincidences and stuff. And um, then, of course, there was the river. <laughs> <laughs> right. Everybody, um, everybody's river. Right. Absolutely. Right. Right. So and you... you... Was, but yeah. you, when you initially came to Nevada County, you were in town and then you moved out onto the ridge at a later time? Yeah, it, it took us a, bit, a little more than a year to find our land, and um, that we found through uh, a new friend, Betsy Abrams, who was later to be both an educational coordinator for both our girls at Twin Ridges, and she also presided at Sage's wedding <laughs> since Sage and Carrie first met at home study when they were like 8 and 10. Wow. wow. <laughs> so it's a you know big circle. I'm um, Keith. Well, excuse me. I was, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say to the audience, I'm Keith Porter. My guest today is Janie Kesselman, uh, and we're learning about her many talents from music to refrigeration engineering. Oh, we haven't talked about sandal making yet. We got to get to that. She's the editor of the Camptonville Courier and uh, very involved in uh, community building and social activism. So, um, a couple things I wanted to touch on. You, you've worked part time for Sierra Solar Systems for quite a while, and you make sandals. So, uh, yeah, how does that all work out? Well, we used to make sandals, yeah. I made them for a long time while uh, that was our cottage industry here on the land. Um, 
I just work for Sierra Solar like one to three days a week. And everyone who lived here, uh, we pooled all our money and resources. So some of us worked, some of us stayed here and taught the kids, you know, uh, helped with the garden. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I made a lot of, a lot of like-minded friends through Twin Ridges and through volunteering at the co-op and KVMR and Circle. Yeah, I was going to say. Spent a lot of time at home making sandals and homeschooling. Well, your your the list of organizations and community efforts that you've been involved with is so impressive. The Peace and Justice <laughs> Center of Nevada County, In Concert Sierra, KVMR, Circle, Miners Foundry, Center for the Arts, Sierra Stages, Nevada Theater, Music in the Mountains, and you have found time to travel to Tijuana at one point to help prepare food for detainees with the World Central Kitchen. And you were arrested for protesting at Beale Air Force Base more than once against drone warfare. Mm -hmm. And you edit the Camptonville Courier. Where do you find the time for all of that? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Oh, of course, this past year, lots of time. <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, raising our daughters in community, there were always others to help out when I or another community member was gone for whatever reason. And my old boss, Johnny Hill, was always supportive, and he gave me time off to get into some good trouble. <laughs> <laughs> good. So I have to give him some credit for that. Well, um, yeah. Well, let me ask you a couple of personal questions uh, about your life, um, summing it up. Is, is there an accomplishment or a role in your life that you're especially pleased with or proud of, you think made the biggest difference? Well, I guess I'm most pleased with my role as an activist, a doer in all aspects of my life, from setting an example for living my ideals in community with others, um, to being a role model as a homeschooling mom, an intentional communities advocate, a tradeswoman, a dancer, activist, anarchist, and a proponent of nonviolent direct action for just causes. So I've rarely had to compromise my ideals. Um, and I know that's kind of a privileged position to be in, but um, well, but you've I've also been able to do that. And <laughs> you've also been willing to deal with what comes and the consequences and so forth. So, you know, yeah. that, then you, you've earned that in that respect, I would say. <laughs> well, let me ask you the converse question. Um, anything that you'd care to share about your life that you do differently if you could do it all over again? I thought about that question. Um, I mean, perhaps if, if we had joined an already formed and functional intentional community earlier on, I might have had energy to pursue other projects, but not really. Then I wouldn't have ended up here, which is a place I love. <laughs> well, the, the community obviously has a, a big heart for you, a big open spot for you for all that you've done. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you're, you're keeping uh, so many organizations alive and dynamic and functional. Um, so, again, a personal question. What are the rewards for you? Why do you find um, satisfaction in your civic engagement and activism? What makes it all worthwhile? Okay. Well, first of all, I've made a number of wonderful friends uh, through my activism um, and through groups who, ins who inspire me all the time and who I can count on for a sympathetic ear. Um, also, I love following the progress of all the young musicians and composers coming through the wonderful music programs. Isn't that a treat? Sponsored yeah. by the two nonprofits I've been working 
with um, ever since Sage got involved. And also, both my daughters are truly grateful for the alternative lifestyle in which they were raised, which makes it all worthwhile for me. Well, speaking of daughters, your older daughter made you a grandmother a couple of years ago, and uh, your younger daughter, uh, Sage Poe-Ruff, is well-known in our community as a professional harpist and a music teacher. Are, are you a little proud of them? <laughs> Trick question. No, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Corey is the best fourth-grade teacher and now a great mom as well. And you know Sage, of course. Um, I have a lot to be proud of. I look forward to spending as much time as they let me <laughs> with my future grandchildren and with Larkin, my, my little baby grandchild now. And I hope to set a good example for them. So, Janie, with the broad experience you've had in civic engagement and activism and so forth, how do you feel about the future? Are you an optimist? Are you pessimistic about our ability to bridge the differences and get important things done to sustain and enhance life on the planet? What do you think? Well, to tell you the truth, um, this past year has been a real eye-opener for me on how far we still have to go in order to bridge differences right here especially after the violent confrontations um, in Nevada City on August 9th. Uh, there's such a wide gap between political factions right now. Um, after our former administration gave people permission to be rude and hateful and bullies and condoned the resulting violence. So all I know is that nonviolent tactics are far more effective than violence, especially when trying to win over the hearts and minds of people. Absolutely. So what if if you could do something, one thing, like a genie gives you <laughs> a, a bottle and a wish, to, to improve our community, to, to make it more peaceful, more just, uh, more resilient, what would that be? What would your wish be? Well, there's something that's being worked on in the Peace Center right now. How about creating housing and services for the homeless, including a mobile response team that does not include a police officer. This could be funded by the Board of Supervisors, so it wouldn't have to come from the law enforcement budget. I have to say, hate has no home here. There are uh, an awful lot of uh, assets in our community in the form of accomplished people, um, professionals, activists, artists, uh, you name it. The very accomplished people choose to live here instead of someplace where they might make more money or be part of a larger groups or organizations and so forth. Uh, obviously, that includes you. Why do you think this community attracts and holds people like you? And is there more we can do to, to further enhance that kind of uh, aspect of our community? Mm. Well, let's see. I think, you know, the beauty of the forest and the river, that's what attracts me and decent some decent school choices. Um, as far as more to do, Provide music in the schools, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. Um, right now we have uh, some wonderful nonprofits that are kind of picking up the slack on that. But um, I don't see why this isn't um, a, a priority because that's so needed for the kids. Right. 
So um, what's ahead for you? What, what's next for you? Your, your daughters are grown. Uh, you said that there are the folks that were living with you have, have gone. It's just you and Peter, I guess, living together now. Um, what, what's next for you? Home. Home. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to my grandmotherhood. <laughs> uh-huh, yes. I'm going to spend a lot of time um, helping raise my, my grandkids. And, of course, I'm still very active. Um, I'm no longer a board member of the Peace Center, but I still um, do a lot of projects and um, working with um like right i'm going to BL air force base and protesting there and doing things like that well that's wonderful and thank you for your contributions to the community and and to the world for that matter I'm Keith Porter. My guest today has been Janie Kesselman. She's a woman of many talents, uh, and uh, she is uh, the poster child in many respects for community building and social activism. Janie, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us uh, all about uh, your perspective on life. We appreciate that. Thanks for the opportunity, Keith.